This podcast episode is part of the Changemaker series of the Publicity for Pet Businesses podcast. The Changemaker series is set up to shine a light on people who are doing extraordinary things to help animals, enabling them to live healthy and happy lives. In each episode, I'm going to be speaking to individuals and organisations who recognise the incredible bond we share with our pets and they work tirelessly to keep animals and their humans together. If you know someone who you feel deserves to be in the spotlight, do get in touch and I really hope you enjoy the show. For episode one of the Changemaker series, I'm speaking to Jade Statt, who is the co-founder of Street Vet. Street Vet is a charity which delivers free care for the homeless and their pets on the streets of London and cities across the UK. I'm really excited to be speaking to Jade about the work that she does, helping people and animals who are really vulnerable. So thank you so much, Jade, for coming on the show. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, my name is Jade. I'm a vet and I'm also the co-founder of a charity called Street Vet. So Street Vet was founded um, with myself and another vet, Sam Joseph, in tail end 2016 um, and what we do is we go out with backpacks on and we offer free accessible vet care to those experiencing homelessness so as I say it started with two vets in a backpack with, in 2016 and we are now uh, run by an army of over 650 vets and nurses um, in 16 locations across the UK. Fantastic. Okay. Okay. So um, I just want to take you back a little bit because um, Jade and I first met back, um, it's coming up for three years ago, actually. um, And I just started my blog and Jade was in the kind of early days of Street Vet and she kindly uh, invited me to go out and go out on outreach with her. Um, So Jade kind of told me her story because she was looking to raise awareness of what Street Vet were doing and it was very early days then. But can you take me kind of straight right back to the point where you realised that there was a need for, um, for vets to help animals living with homeless people um, and how the whole kind of street vet for you came about so you've heard this story before Rachel I know Um, I have but my listeners haven't so (laughs) no I know um I guess from from my point of view I'd always wanted to volunteer as a vet um and I felt that I really wanted to do that in the UK um because there's ways to do it abroad but not that many um easy routes to doing it in the UK and so I had had always had that in my head and then I stopped to talk to um a guy on a night out in London with his dog um my dog at that time coincidentally was also um well he was elderly um and not very well he had cancer and I guess yeah it was probably a mixture of emotion empathy and just a bit of a moment where I just saw how much this dog meant to him and how worried he was about the dog. And and there wasn't a lot wrong with the dog. The dog just had like some bad skin. And I just was like, wow, like, how do you get help? Like, what happens? Like, what do you do? And we were just having a chat about it. And I just sort of walked away thinking, well, you know, if I had what I had needed, I could have just fixed that dog right there. You know, mm-hmm. it was a quick, a quick and simple sort of antibiotic, give it some treatment and, and it could have been sorted. So that kind of stuck in my head as I walked away, um, you know, how bonded these owners are with their dogs and and how much of a worry it is for them um, if they get sick. Um, so, yeah, that was the seed planted for me, really. Um, but it was only once I started actually so we had to have quite a lot of meetings to get to the point where street vet could exist because there's a lot of logistics, a lot of legal requirements, a lot of discussions, insurance, all that kind of stuff, and making sure that we're sticking with the codes of the Royal College. But once we got to the point that we were going out and actually doing it, on talking to owners, 
it then became really apparent why they were finding it hard to access help. So firstly, it can be they can't prove that they're homeless. Mm -hmm. So that is a massive thing. Um, The next thing would be that they have quite a lot of social anxiety and mental health problems. So actually sitting in in a vet's consulting room or waiting room, sorry, can be really intimidating. Other situations can be being asked for a donation if they go to a charity. Um, and yeah, just general mobility, like being able to get their dog to some of these places. Um, so, I mean, any vets will help somebody in an emergency situation to give them first aid. But in terms of, you know, the support, peace of mind and, you know, non-judgmental care, which I think that's another reason they worry about going into a vet practice. If they don't know them, that are they going to think they're not doing a good job? Are they going to take their dog off them? I mean, this is all things that, you know, isn't necessarily going to happen, but it's preconceived ideas because they're they're so attached to their pet that they're worried about losing them okay so when you first kind of started going out and you you know as you've just described you you met them met the guy on the street with the dog with the skin complaint you kind of put in place the things that you needed to put in place for you to go out and and do outreach and provide care kind of you know on the pavements with with the people with their animals and um, when you first kind of went and approached people what kind of response did you get what was it like in those kind of early days so I think I was pretty naive um, and, you know, I think that I didn't consider what it felt like on the other side. So I just had it in my head, you know, I'm I'm offering someone help. So, you know, here I come bouncing over with my backpack to, to offer help. And, you know, I think there was a, a definite sense at the beginning um, of sort of distrust and, you know, why, who are you? Do you think I'm not looking after my dog? Do you think that you know, my dog's fine. I don't need your help. You know, and and I was I was surprised at the beginning, but that's total my my ignorance, to be honest. Because what you don't realise is, until you've been working in the community for for longer, is that a lot of our clients maybe haven't spoken to anyone for two days. You know, literally somebody they've just been ignored repeatedly, and then you know the first thing that happens when you come over is, oh, can I have a look at your dog? Like, you know, the implication is that they get defensive and, and worried because they don't want to lose their dog and mm-hmm. they don't want to be judged. But once you get to the point, which is why I think Street Vet works the way that it does, is that we're not asking people to neuter their animal before they'll be eligible for help. We're not asking people to come into a practice for help. We're going to them and we're getting to know them and getting to know their dog in, a, um, I guess, at a pace that suits them. Mm-hmm. So... Once I started to get that um, street bit, you know, the remit of how we work changed. So we still, it's all about going out in the street, but we now team up with grassroots organizations or soup kitchens mm-hmm. and we're present in a location week in, week out, pre-COVID, obviously, um, you know, visible and consistent. And what happens is they then know that you're going to be there and they trust you. And then then the reaction to us is now completely different. But that's, you know, me not, I guess, grasping that, you know, we're dealing with some of the, you know, most marginalised people in society mm-hmm. who who have slipped through the cracks and who don't trust easily. And their dogs are literally everything they have. So you've got to respect that and gain their trust. And that that's what I think is, is the kind of key to street vet, really. Mm-hmm. Okay, so at the beginning, um, you know, it was kind of you on your own, and then how did it? How did it grow? How did Street Vet become? You know, go from an idea on a night out to you know six hundred and fifty volunteers in sixteen different locations. I think it it, it grew because 
of a, of a few things, really. I think it grew because, sadly, there is a need. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of homeless people, it's like said, between 5 to 25% of the homeless population have pets. So, you know, there's a there's a need for people to get their, their veterinary care. Um, but also, I think that the veterinary profession also needed it. So, you know, I felt really confident that vets and nurses would want to do this. Um, and I had quite a few sceptics sort of going, well, why, you know, they work so hard. The last thing they want to do when they finish work is, is go out and do more vet work. And I was like, it's different. It's just a dip. you're taking away time constraints. You're taking away worries about, you know, thinking about money. And you're just literally stripping it back to why you became a vet or a nurse in the first place. So the profession did not disappoint. And as soon as we got any kind of publicity about what it was we were doing and asking for people to get involved, we just had loads and loads of volunteers wanting to do it. Um, but I guess another thing why I think that Street Vet, you know, took off in the way that it is, that it has, aside from the need and aside from the fact that I think the veterinary profession needed it, I also think um, that as a, as a nation, you know, the UK is very animal-minded and the public are very aware of homeless people and their pets. And I think the whole concept that there's now something that's being done to to give that support was really really um well received by the public as well and i think that has helped and the professions backing of it as well everything mm-hmm. kind of um kind of came together to to make it work really okay um so i know you talked about this before but you um you kind of went out on your own um street vetting with your backpack as you've described and then you found out about sam joseph who's your co-founder um i did was doing the same thing so can you explain what happened there yeah, so, um, yeah, Sam uh, is a vet, Sam Joseph, and, yeah, we did not know each other, but obviously Kindred Spirits has had the same idea pretty much at the same time and came up with the same name. So I found out about him on Facebook. So he was going out with a backpack on um, and, you know, offering um, care himself to, to people um, who were experiencing homelessness. So, yeah, I just reached out on Facebook and contacted him and we met up and agreed that we would achieve more and do do more if we worked together. Mm-hmm. So we co-founded StreetBet as a not-for-profit organisation in April 2017. Okay. Um, and then, so you started out in London, and then how quickly did it kind of grow to other cities? Like, how did that all kind of come about? Pretty quickly, to be honest. Um, I kind of co-opted uh, one of my best friends in Brighton, um, mm-hmm. who's a vet, and I was like, because I'd been to Brighton, I'd seen how many dogs were there, um, you know, with their, with their owners. So, uh, you know, I kind of had that one in mind immediately that I wanted to do. Um, Sam went to Bristol University, so he had quite a lot of connections in Bristol. And so he very much was wanting to, to go to Bristol. So it kind of went London and Bristol and Brighton were the, the kind of initial ones. Mm-hmm. And then from there, yeah, we just got emails from vets saying, we've got a problem in where I live and, and we want to we wanna do something about it. And then it was a case of, okay, let's see how we can get a framework to start getting more and more places opened. And, it, and yeah, it just kind of went from there. Okay, so um, I'm interested, there's, so, there's so many things that I want to, and I, there's so many things that I know about Street Vet from knowing you for coming up to three years now, but also that I'm, what I find really interesting is that you kind of went from working as a vet one day um, in a vet surgery to, you know, very quickly having to talk about the setting up frameworks and setting up outreaches in different cities and all of these different things and all of the admin and everything like that. What was that like at the beginning? And, you know, 
how did you how did you do that kind of you know the two of you like you and Sam yeah. were just kind of regular vets to go from that to setting up this organization that's across you know across the south and across across the country near enough um you know how how easy was that for you how did you find it um I I definitely had moments where I wasn't sure that this is what I wanted to do and I don't mean that I didn't want street vet to exist it was more that am I the right person to be doing this do you know I'm the right person to be bringing this forward I don't really know what I'm doing you know a little bit like you know a swan on the top and your legs just going mental at the bottom you know it's it was everything was like a a new thing to me you know I've never looked at websites never done interviews never done is really any social media fundraising you know all of that was new every single part of it so the only thing that I did know was that I cared about the concept and Mm. thankfully other people really seemed to get that and care about it too so I think what what helped throughout all of it was just being true to the cause really Mm -hmm. and the fact that you know I am passionate about it and what that seemed to kind of carry me through but what I, I did do, and I've been incredibly fortunate, both Sam and I, is that we've got such amazing profession. And the veterinary profession has absolutely just, you know, enveloped StreetBet and, and really helped us so much. So be it from support, you know, with operations, pro bono support, drug companies, the pet industry, food, toys, you know, it, it's been a real, um, yeah, it's been amazing. And I think obviously the, the, our colleagues, the vets and nurses, wanting to get involved. So I think that what the success of Street Vet has been largely down to the fact that Sam and I are vets. We didn't really know what we were doing, but what we did know is that it was needed and we believed in it. And as a result, we're able to ask for help in lots of different places and we're really lucky that we got it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it's been about collaborating and it's been about networking and and getting lots of different people to work together that that's how we are where we are I couldn't have done any of it (laughs) without all the help I've had so okay so just going back again can you tell us um like a tip you know on an outreach on a typical outreach what kind of things do street vets go and do when they go and see animals you know so if you know if they go and approach one of your clients who is you know by the side of the road or at a hostel or wherever they are what kind of things do they do on you know on a typical yeah I mean the whole purpose of street vet was to try and do as much as we possibly could on the street Mm -hmm. so we like to look at it that anything that can be done in a veterinary consulting room street vet can do on the street so we will take blood we'll test urine we'll sample lumps because the the biggest concern that the owners have is being separated from their pet so if you're like oh yeah your dog needs to have a blood test but we're going to have to do this this and this they're less likely to want to do it whereas if we're like oh we're going to take blood we'll just do it now you know they're with them they don't feel threatened by that and and we can get a lot more um sort of achieved so a routine um thing can be anything from a checkover and giving them flea and worm treatment to um you know taking a blood test and um discussing potentially you know when we're going to get in touch with the results and and the next step so we will prescribe prescribe ear stuff eye stuff antibiotics pain relief um you know any any of those things we'll microchip or vaccinate it, it's basically like a first opinion service i would say 
but mm-hmm. if anything is needed beyond that, so if an animal does need diagnostics like an x-ray or they need a procedure or anything like that, then we still do that. But it's a case of arranging it within our network of, of vets that we work with. Mm-hmm. Okay, so can you tell me about some of the scenarios you faced um, with the animals and uh, like some of the more unusual cases that you've had to deal with um, and, and, you know, how you've helped those animals and those owners overcome the problem that they had? So, yeah, an unusual case or a more challenging case we had recently was um, during coronavirus, we had an email from an owner um, who was worried about his dog because the dog had suddenly started to have problems um, walking um, and was sort of falling over. So. The owner had a phone number, so I contacted him and we had a, a conversation and I arranged for the dog to be seen as an emergency um, at a practice because obviously it was, it was during coronavirus and it was, you know, it, the dog needed to be seen. Um, and yeah, what, what you know, obviously various things go through your head. It could just be that the dog was arthritic or one of the things they can get is a problem with their balance if they've got like an ear infection or something like that. Um, and on discussions with the vet when... Um, I spoke to them and they sent me a video of the dog. Um, there was fairly, I was fairly concerned that the dog had um, a problem with its spine and its neurological system. Um, so we did what we could in practice, but ultimately to get a proper diagnosis and, and have a real look at the areas that I thought were affected, which was the brain and the spinal cord, we ended up referring the dog um, to a specialist where the dog had an MRI scan of its brain um, and its spine and it also had some fluid taken from its spinal column and yeah the dog was diagnosed with um, meningoencephalitis so that's like an autoimmune inflammation around the brain um, and the base of the of part of the spinal cord um, and and yeah so she is now on treatment and um, yeah she's being visited by our outreach team of volunteers she's back with her owner um, we visit every two weeks to see how she's getting on with the treatment um, but yeah she's doing really well okay um, she, yeah so we will continue to monitor her closely but you know in, in terms of um, I guess had he not sought attention or had we not been able to do the diagnostics or the workup you know the, the well I don't know what would have happened to be honest yeah and you've had dogs with cancer and dental problems and all kinds of different things that you've been able to help haven't you um yeah is- i mean it's a, wide, a very wide range of things that we'll, we'll do so yeah because a lot of the dogs that are living with our owners are older we do see quite a lot of arthritis we mm-hmm. end up getting them buggies um to help them get around in the street yeah. um and we've also dealt with dentals as you say we've had lumps and bumps taken off lots of um neutering we've had a two dogs hit by trains um in the time since we started street vets sadly they're both okay but um both you know fairly intensive hospitalization cases mm-hmm. um so yeah all, all sorts of fractured legs and um cruciate injuries and yeah loads of different things we've had to deal with it just makes you think when you i guess you'll be thinking the same as you kind of running through all of those terrible scenarios that people have had to face you know thank, thank goodness that they have got somewhere where they can go and that that you know you and other organizations who do similar um you know across the country and across the world um are there now it's just incredible and so i wanted to ask you as well and i know we've talked about this many many times but um you know what does for people who are listening who might be thinking um you know why do homeless people have pets what does having a pet mean to um people who are living on the streets i guess the the base thing that i can 
I can sort of say, I mean, I've had so many sort of anecdote stories from talking to our clients. It's, it's when you get their, their backstories and you realize that a lot of the time the, the pets are linked to their previous life. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I have one client who's, who lost his whole family in a car crash and the dog is the only connection that he still has. Um, we've got another client who used to run a successful farm and the dog was his farm dog and he lost the farm and he lost everything and now he just has the dog. So I think that um, it's looking at what we get from our pets, which we all know is is massive. But if you are feeling judged and ignored and invisible on a regular basis and that one sort of pet next to you doesn't feel that way at all and just thinks that everything about you is awesome and you know that that is pretty special and you can't you can't replace that but you know owners talk about a sense of responsibility sense of routine um they talk about redemption um one of our clients said to me you know i look after him in the day and he looks after me at night um and another client and this one i you know i was particularly moved by just said my dog is my home Mm-hmm. Um, which you know, I think sums it up really. Absolutely. Okay. Um, and just you touched on a little bit there, but what would you say is the kind of biggest misconception when it comes to um, you know, what 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 people think when they see homeless people with animals? I guess like some people will think, you know, if you can't look after yourself, why have you got a dog? Mm-hmm. And they immediately feel sorry for the dog. And and you know, I think as a nation, we we do do that. But I think that if you have a conversation and you actually understand that you know, that dog, in a lot of the situations, the owners had the dog before they were homeless. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you end up asking yourself the question, if you lost your home tomorrow, which may be happening, sadly, and a lot more people than expected now with the current situation, would they give up their dog? And dogs are family members in, in most people's situations. So it's not something that people would give up lightly. But also, um, you know, the other misnomer, misconception is that people think that they've got the dog for begging purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think there'll be a percentage that, you know, will look at it that way, the same as there's a percentage of people that, you know, in houses that get dogs that maybe shouldn't, you know. Yeah. But what I think people don't realise is that, yes, okay, there's that aspect of it, but the costs for an owner, somebody living in the street to have a dog are massive. So I'm not talking about financial costs, I'm talking about the ability to get into to go to hospital, the ability to go to the doctors, the ability to access soup kitchens, um, to get into you know to get accommodation, they lose all of that ease by ha- choosing to have that dog. So the costs of having a dog on the street are massive. Um, so the assumption that you know um, it's an easy thing to get a dog and, and sit there and, and see if you can get some th- sympathy, you've got to think about the flip side of that is that you know, they are then putting barriers to themselves for, for getting access to lots of services because they've got that dog. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really, important, a really important point to hit home. And I know from when we first kind of met, you know, nearly three years ago um, to, you know, the current day we're talking now in June in the middle of the lockdown or towards the end of the lockdown even. Um, when I was kind of talking to you about raising awareness of street vet, one of the things, obviously you were talking about the vet side of things and, and wanting more vets to come forward. And right at that beginning, um, you were kind of looking for looking for support in the industry and in the pet food industry and all those different things. But for me, kind of with my journalist hat on, one of the really important things, the really important message I wanted to get out there was this, that people, um, you know, people who are homeless and 
the incredible bond that these people have with the dogs and also the sacrifices that they make and the fact that they remain on the streets in horrendous weather and all kinds of conditions and not only that but you know the constant fear that they have um, for their own safety and welfare and that of their pet because of that incredible unbreakable bond and I do think you've come so far in shattering um, or breaking down those misconceptions and making people be more compassionate towards homeless people which is another I feel really important part of what you do isn't it thank you yeah I mean I I guess you know I have my own misconceptions you know I'm yeah. not saying that I, I guess I didn't know anything I mean why would you you know you, it's not something that you know you necessarily um I've thought about all the ins and outs of okay if you've got a dog in the street does that mean you can't get into a hostel like it didn't even sort of cross my mind yeah or oh that means you can't go to hospital if you're ill you know and it's only once you start unpicking it and actually being in this so when we set up street vet it was all about the vet stuff now you know we're looking at providing boarding so people can go into hospital with their pet we're now looking at the accredited hostel system so that we can actually try and get our owners off the street with their dogs so that they can get into a hostel and access services that then gives them a way back into society. Mm-hmm. Whereas if they're not getting into the first step of a hostel, then they're not accessing the services. And then, you know, they're, they're in a much, much harder situation. And they shouldn't be in that situation because they've chosen to remain loyal to their to their dog. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to ask you a little bit more about that, in, de- in a bit more detail about that um, in a moment. But I just wanted to ask you um, if you could share some examples of, um, you know, some of the stories of clients that you've worked with who have um you know who, who've come to you for help with their dogs or animals and then have you know have found you know have rebuilt their lives um and found you know found homes found jobs so can you tell me um about any kind of people you've who you've helped who have you know really kind of i mean i guess like i mean the things that street bit do i mean so we, we do get asked like you know how many people have you helped to get off the streets and mm-hmm. and i think that you know, potentially with the accredited hostel system, that may be something that we we can legitimately say that we're going to be helping to do. But yeah. up until this point, you know, our part is mostly um, support, really. So, for instance, like we write pet references to try and help people, you know, when they're trying to get into accommodation, we'll write a mm-hmm. pet reference. If people can't get into a hostel because their animal's not vaccinated, you know, we'll step in and we'll do that. Um, we've had situations where... Um, you know, I guess people have been um, in receipt of street vet help, and then as a result of that, their um, their story has almost you know touched some people. Um, mm. And through that, they have then gone on their own journey um, to potentially you know get into accommodation or meet people. So the the, the one example I guess I'm thinking about is Phil and Lucky. Mm. Um, so Phil. Um, I helped Street Bet met him and his dog Lucky was operated on. Um, and from there, he wanted to give back and say thank you. So he arranged to go on a walk, um, a very long walk, <laughs> raising money and awareness for Street Bet, which was amazing. He raised £5,000. But what that journey took him on was something that re- improved his confidence, but also he met so many people. And off the back of that, he met an incredible woman who bought him a boat um, and that is now where he's living um, with Lucky. And also off the back of that, he came to our conference and literally spoke in front of 150 people. So, you know, Streetbed didn't do that. You know, he did that. But all we did was, I guess, was a little bit of a catalyst at the beginning to make him sort of go on this journey. And I think that that's 
that happens with quite a few of our clients is that we almost, I guess there's a light kind of shone on them and then they, they make their own sort of path from there. Um, so Andy Bailey would be another, another example. Um, you know, uh, he's, he's amazing. Um, but you know, he, he spoke for on behalf of street belt on channel four and got nearly 90 million views. Um, because what he was saying was just so touching when he was talking about his dog. So then, you know, his, not entire life, but like, you know, he, he has then had opportunities come to him as a result of that. But again, you know, we didn't do that. He did that. It's just that he got the opportunity for people to listen to him. And I think that that's, that's something that is, um, yeah, uh, the stories that, that our clients have got to tell are, are quite incredible. Mm -hmm. But I think the key thing is that you, whether it's writing a reference or, or helping their dog in a time of need, you are providing that stepping stone or bridge or however you want to look at it to them, either getting into a hostel or into into going on an incredible walk or just being with their being with the animal that they love. And that you know yeah. that's 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 what it's all about, isn't it? Um, and it's fantastic to hear stories like Andy's and like Phil's, where you know you have these incredible endings as well or i know it's not an ending as such but you know what i mean they get they get to you know they they have what they've been searching for and that's you know safety for them safety for the pet um so no it's just it's just fantastic and um, so you touched on this a little bit with andy and phil as well because both of them have had lots of media interest i know andy was on channel four phil's had lots of coverage as well um, and i know we spoke kind of right at the beginning when you were first kind of looking at getting the word out there about street vet but do you have um, any kind of tips on getting media interest what advice would you give to, what advice would you give to somebody who was kind of at the beginning of doing something like what you did with a social enterprise or charity and they were kind of wanting to get themselves out there what would you say to them um i think that for for me certainly i think that a big factor for street vet was that we were very fortunate that we have a profession in which we could reach out in so a lot of what we did at the beginning was reaching out within social media groups within the veterinary profession but also within the media of the veterinary profession again um and so we were able to kind of raise awareness of what we, what we were doing so at that point we needed volunteers so you know actually doing sort of within our own profession reaching out was was a big thing for us to get our name sort of known and also the respect from within the profession but also just the the support from the profession so i think that um at the starting point i would say that i mean we i concentrated quite a lot on that because that was what i felt that we needed it wasn't i wasn't really that aware of how to get public profile at that point um so we were sort of obviously you know i met you um and you did some some um some work with us and and got some um work published discussing you know what it was we were doing and against I don't know that I and this is going to sound really a bit um remiss of me but I, I don't remember very much looking for publicity that much it almost came came to us um which was amazing but I don't know how commonplace that is and I don't know if it's because um it just happened to be at a time you know when we first when I first started going out um, I was with Joshua Coombs, who has, you know, uh, a large social media following um, and his group do something for nothing. And he, you know, there's people out filming him. And as a result, 
Street Bet got a little bit of a, um, a a light shone on it, and then I ended up on the BBC on the news that night. I wasn't expecting it; I wasn't prepared for it at all. And I think what happened was, um, I guess, for what we were doing was maybe a little bit different, but it was also it was Christmas time, and sadly, that's when there's a lot more media attention on homelessness. And I think that um, the the two things kind of kind of went together. Um, but where I am, I guess now and I, and I didn't know anything um at the beginning you know we would get a lot of emails in about different opportunities and all these and, and it's learning which ones are ones you should pursue and which ones you shouldn't and and I had no idea um so it, it it has been a really steep sort of learning curve and it's more been taking advice from from people that do know um advising you on which things you know are going to be good for the charity and and thinking about you know, what messages that you're trying to get across, who you're trying to reach, what's the purpose of your publicity, what you what do you want? Is it you're trying to reduce stigma from homeless people owning pets? Is it that you want to um, you know, gain public support, funding, you know, and it, and it's really thinking about also the people that are coming to interview you, what why are they interviewing you? What's their angle? You know, are they doing it because, you know, their message is that they want, you know, what you want, or are they shining a light on homelessness in a in a negative way and you know it, it, it's 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 quite eye-opening um and and a lot of my interactions with the media have have been tricky um in terms of you know I work with incredibly vulnerable people um and I think that not all people are as respectful of that as they should be mm-hmm. um and I have had situations where I've had to tell people that I'm stopping the interview and I'm not going to proceed with it because ultimately what I what we care about as a charity is our our clients and the pets, and it's not about the PR and the publicity. I'd rather just not not do it than have a situation mm-hmm. where we lose trust of a client that we've built that relationship with over years. Yeah. So I don't know if that's answered the question. It kind of has. It kind of has. I think. Um, I think ultimately, um, yeah, you have to be careful with, particularly with you know, with an organisation like yours where the messaging is it, it's it's all it's very you've got vulnerable you're dealing with vulnerable people um and it is you know it's a yeah vulnerable people and quite a quite a delicate message that you have to get right i think um and yeah i think all you know like your clients have to trust you if you're talk if you're trusting a journalist to tell your story or your client's story you've got to trust them as well and that's really important and i know you know i've been in journalism for a long time and um you know as in every profession some people might have a different agenda to others so um, I think it's really important that like you know as you've said you have kind of stood your ground when you've when things haven't felt quite right I didn't I didn't at the beginning because I didn't feel confident um, yeah but 100% like we now have a media mm-hmm. policy um, and we've done media training with yeah with um, people from every um, city for street bit so that they're really clear that bottom line for street bit if if you don't feel comfortable and you don't think the clients are comfortable then mm-hmm. please don't think about anything we we're, we don't care if you pull whatever it is that you're doing it's yeah. more important um the the underlying um that we're taking care of the client but yeah it, it takes quite a long time to get to that point you know um I, well we literally probably only did it recently actually mm-hmm. within the last six months so i think at the beginning it's it's an absolute unknown world and the only way to navigate through it is to is to get help and advice from people that do know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do, you learn quickly um, because you have to. Um, but um, 
yeah, I think that once you find people within within that media industry that you trust, um, it makes a massive difference um, going forward. You, you just learn who you want to work with going forward, really. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so the other thing I'm, I, I must ask you about, cause it's really exciting. So uh, Jade has just, uh, Jade and Street Vet have just uh, won the Purina Better With Pets prize. So I wanted to talk about that. It only, we're talking in the middle of June. It only happened last week. Um, so it's yes. really exciting. So what does winning the Better With Pets prize mean for you and Street Vet as well then? Um, so, yeah, I mean, we saw the competition and it was for a project that um, is innovative and in, um, sort of uh, protects the human-animal bond. And when I saw it, I was like, well, we have to apply for this. Like, it's definitely, um, you know, we're in we're in that category. So uh, the project that we that we wanted to do was Street Better Accredited Hostels. And it's something that has always been um, something Sam and I really, really care about because we were talking like five to 25% of um, homeless people have pets, whereas it's um, the figure is about 10% of hostels will accept. So you've got a supply and demand issue massively. Mm-hmm. So um, what we wanted to look at was why these hostels aren't accepting dogs and, you know, what we could do to support them to start. Mm-hmm. So that's the, we've created a um, 10 point accredited hostel scheme. Um, and yeah, we, we pitched, um, to win the money to do it and um, yeah I think it was I don't know 180 people entered or charities entered and um, yeah so it was down to five five people in the final and um, yeah we won it so it was a bit a bit mental and uh, very exciting and so now we are we've got all the ideas and the pilots for how it's going to work but what we are now aiming to do is to get this into practice and either help hostels who have never accepted dogs to start accepting them um, or help hostels that do accept dogs maybe to sort of augment their service to include all the things that we think should be included. So aside from the veterinary and providing dog essentials, a, a large part of it is going to be training um, mm-hmm. so that people who work in hostels feel com- confident and to work safely with dogs. Okay, so when you've been going and approach, sorry, that was just Pat shaking those. Or when you've been going and approaching um, hostels, what kind of you know how has that been for you? Have you are you finding people are receptive, or or you know how do you find it when you go to? Well, I think speak to them? yeah, we we we've had hostels. Um, so whenever we set up street vet in a location, one of the things we do is phone up local hostels to find out if they accept dogs, mm-hmm. and we've always said if they don't, you know, what could we do to help you to to accept dogs so we've always been sort of providing a little bit of support but this is going to be like a proper sort of wraparound service so Mm -hmm. we haven't actually approached any hostels with the with the accredited scheme yet because it it didn't exist but Mm -hmm. we know from conversations we've had with hostels that they are worried about you know who's responsible for the welfare of the pet if they accept them they do worry about health and safety getting bitten so these are the reasons why we put the things that we have put into the scheme because we feel that these are the things that um, are maybe barriers to people doing it. But I mean, up until now we have helped hostels accept dogs just by helping them by giving them muzzles, giving them crates. Um, You know, during the coronavirus outbreak, there's been some hotels taking dogs in and we've been supporting them with food um, and telemedicine consults if the dogs have been unwell. So yeah, I think, um, 
I hope it will be well received because I think that the benefits, aside from to the owners and to the dogs of getting them inside, you know, I think there's a benefit to the hostel because, you know, uh, anywhere with a dog, it improves people's mental well-being, you know, mm-hmm. and I think the other people in the hostel get will get pleasure out of having dogs once they're confident around them. Um, and, yeah, I just, it's going to, please, hopefully, decrease rough sleeping because, mm-hmm. you know, people are going to have an opportunity to get off the street. Okay. Um, and I know you mentioned it before, but what's it been like, you know, working and, and supporting your clients during lockdown um, when, you you know, it's not as you can't go to the soup kitchen or go to the places where you normally go and check on them and run your outreaches? What, how's it affected what you do? It, it, I mean, it's it, yeah, it's, it has. We had to stop all our official outreaches because they were alongside soup kitchens, so everything stopped. So our, all communication with our clients has been through our out of hours emergency number, um, and we've had yeah over a hundred percent increase in calls coming through that, um, which is good because it means they're still able to get in touch with us. Mm-hmm. But it's a worry because you know the things they're phoning for are you know, they need dog food, you know, it's, it's stuff that before, you know, we would provide or they'd be able to get through the soup kitchen and now they're just not yeah. getting it. So um, the other thing that has definitely happened and to all charities is that our passive fundraising has gone down, um, but the need for our service has increased. And what I mean by that is that whereas there was things we could sort out on the street, we're obviously not doing that as much. So we're having to pay for animals to go into practice. So our mm-hmm. costs have gone up. Um, and sadly, you know, we have no idea what's going to happen at the other end of uh, this pandemic. But I think there, it's very likely that the number of people who are homeless is going to increase. Um, and that in itself then may bring obviously an increase in requirement for, for street vet. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so you've got the accredited hostel scheme, which hopefully is going to mean that more hostels are going to be um, dog friendly um, like I know it might sound a little bit naive to even ask this but you know in an ideal world um, you know what would be out there for homeless um, pet owners and their animals you know if if you could kind of you know what what would be your kind of what is your ultimate goal would you say? Um, I mean I guess what I would I, would, I want there to never be a situation where someone's asked to choose a roof over their head over their dog mm-hmm. um, be that when they're if you're actually rough sleeping or be that the next step so when you're trying to get into a rental accommodation any of it like I, I just the whole thought that you know there's there's a situation where it's ever okay to to have to make that choice I, I, I don't you know I couldn't do it and mm-hmm. um, I would want to do it and I don't think it, it, it should happen so I, I guess um I also hate when I, I see situations where owners are so ill themselves, but they will not go to hospital because they're so frightened of losing their pay. And it's heartbreaking stuff. And I just don't think that, that any of these situations should should exist, really. So I, I'm not saying that Street Vet Credit Hospital is going to solve homelessness, but I, I think it will help a lot in terms of also my volunteers' well-being because they can actually... <laughs> not walk away in the same way they can be like oh but we could maybe get try and get you into a hostel whereas up until you know that that is not an easy thing to do um Mm -hmm. because they know that there's no hostels in the area that will take a dog therefore they know that the owner will not go so you just leave them where they where where they were and and it's really hard it must be you know when you were talking about that um obviously you've got 
as a street vet, it must be incredibly rewarding knowing that you're going and you're going out there and you're helping these people who really need it. But the, one of the tougher sides of doing what you do must be, have, you know, feeling helpless and feeling that you, you know, you're walking away from people and and the frustration and and everything else at society and just the the situation these poor people are in, um, and and that must be hard as well. Do you? Um, I know that you have like you know you. I know from going to your events and stuff that you've got lots of support there for your volunteers but you know what's that kind of like um what's that like emotionally for your volunteers not be um, like they can't do what they can't do they can't help these people in the I way think, that they I want to that, yeah i think it is a big problem because as a as a group um we are people nurses and vets um caregivers you know people that like to fix and find solutions and i think that there is a lot of frustration when you go out you know you see that they need this 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 and this and all you're able to do is is the one thing mm-hmm. but it's trying to hammer home and we you know we do this in the conference and we we also have um other various sort of um mentoring sort of systems where we're trying to buddy up with people so that we you know can support each other because it is being able to accept that helplessness you know we are not there to fix it we cannot fix it but what we can do and what we do do um is is bring peace of mind um to one part of a very very complex picture Mm -hmm. and i think that if if we do always say to people who are looking to volunteer for street vet that it might not be for them you know they might go out and do it and then find that they do take it all too much home with them and it's it's actually you know not good for their well-being um but i think that if you can get your head around um the bits that we do do um and what we are bringing and please go you know we're now in a situation where we might be doing something else positive for both human and animal with the with the hostel scheme you know i think that it goes another bit of a way to to relieving that feeling of helplessness if we've now got options to to help people get indoors but i think it's just you've got to understand your limitations and and you know you can't can't solve everything even even though we want to so no it's hard it's hard the only way you can support people is by um you know having things like we do with the conferences where they can all talk to each other about it and offering support but also um reassuring them that they're doing they're doing the best that they can with the bit of the puzzle that they they're able to help with Mm-hmm. okay now that's 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 really helpful thank you um and i know kind of how much support you give and and the emotional t- toll it must take on people as well um, and just also for like members of the public who aren't um you know who aren't pet professionals um if they want to do something to help people who are on the streets with animals um you know what what what's the kind of message that you would say to them so I mean, we get asked a lot. Um, you know, uh, I never know what to do. Do I stop? Mm-hmm. Do I give them money? Do I, you know? And and I think it's a really personal thing. And I think that you know there shouldn't be a prescribed way to 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 help anyone. But I think that the most important thing that I can say is just don't ignore people. Like just stop and have a conversation. And if they don't want to have a conversation with you, then you know you don't know what's happened in their day. You don't know um, what's been going on. But it's it means a lot um, to to have a conversation with someone. And by doing that, and usually, you know, if they have a dog, obviously, you know, you you 
dogs are conduit to lots of things and they're certainly to, to social interaction with the public. So, you know, our clients like nothing more than to talk about their dog in the same way that we all like nothing more than to talk about our dog. So it's it's a way to connect with people. Um, and, and it may be that when you have that conversation, if you are aware of StreetBit, you can ask them if, if they know about StreetBit. Mm-hmm. And it may be that they do, or if they don't, it's it's saying to them, you know, we're an organisation where we care about keeping owners and their dogs together. We're not, a, you know, an enforcement organisation. And, you know, if they thought that they might benefit from, from a street vet visit, you know, it's something that as a member of the public, you can advocate for them. So we have a notify us section on the website and you can... We need we need ideally a phone number for that um, for that owner, mm-hmm. um, and then we can help them. Um, you know whether we exist in that location or not. We can if they need to see a vet, we can fund it. Or um, if they don't have a phone, but the member of the public is happy to sort of act as a, a conduit, then then we can do it that way. So I think that that's a nice thing. Um, you know, to empower people that they can actually offer something tangible that might actually help them. Um, but yeah, and, and the other thing I think is important, if you are going to buy something for somebody, is ask them what they want, ask them what they need. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, you know, you get people who are sitting next to 20 cups of coffee and they don't drink coffee, you know. So it's something, you know, you, everybody has tastes, everybody has their own um, individual personality. So um, just ask them what they want. I'll never forget when I spoke to one of um, the guys and I was like, so what, you know, can I get you something? He's like, I really want a strawberry milkshake. And I was like, okay, I'm going to make that happen, you know, and that's, that was a lovely thing. Like I felt really, you know, he had something he really wanted and I was able to get that for him rather than just assuming and giving someone, you know, something they don't need. Okay. I know what you mean about the cups of coffee um, because, you know, I live in a city myself and, and that is just seems to be what everybody does. I do go and I do generally go and ask people what they want rather than just take cups of coffee and McDonald's and that kind of thing. Um, okay, so the other thing I wanted to ask you as well is um, so some of so my listeners, I are they're a kind of mix of pet service providers, so dog trainers, groomers, walkers, um, and then also product makers as well. If any of the kind of um, pet professionals um, were in were looking to be um, looking to kind of get involved with street vet and um, what would what steps would you kind of suggest that they take um, i guess it depends you know um you know if they want to get in touch to have a conversation about anything it's just to um to email it and so mm-hmm. um yeah the best the best thing if you want to email me directly um is jade.stat at streetvet.org.uk um but also yeah just connect up with us on on social media so we're on twitter instagram facebook linkedin um and and then we can yeah go go from there really okay and on your website if people want to donate um they can do so via the website yeah, as well, so can't the, they? yeah there's the golden giving is on the website and also every street vet location has got an amazon wish list as well mm-hmm. so if people feel that they want to you know buy something specific for a pet then they can mm-hmm. okay and i know you have lots of people who do um you know sp- i know obviously before lockdown but sponsored runs and that kind of thing to fund oh, yeah. guys yeah. um and yeah every every penny counts doesn't it okay yeah. well that's been so it's been so good talking to you jay thank you um so much for taking time out because i know how busy you are um so if people want to find out more what's the best thing for them to do um yeah just uh, go go to the website really okay. um streetvet.org.uk 
Okay, and your I'll put all of your social media handles and stuff um, in the notes to go with this episode. But yeah. thank you so much for talking to me. It's wonderful right. um, chatting as always and learning about yeah. what you do. Um, and I will speak to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Publicity for Pet Businesses podcast. For more free resources and ways to promote yourself as a pet entrepreneur, visit www.publicityforpetbusinesses.co.uk.